DW Africa Link. Hello and welcome to DW's Africa Link show live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. To those listening from Ethiopia's historic Lalibela to Zambia's Stunning Falls, my name is Jojo Kachi. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. The show is also live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. So share your thoughts on the stories we're covering. Here's what's coming up. We will, or rather, will a referendum solve the land dispute in Ethiopia's western Tigray region? While the prospect of a referendum seems like a potentially democratic resolution, the success of such a process relies on addressing security concerns and garnering support from all parties involved. There's more on that coming up soon. Meanwhile, the humanitarian situation in Tigray region remains critical one year after AU's brokered peace deal. We expect the federal government to get them out. All militants out of the Ethiopian Defense Forces in Tigray. Stay tuned for the details after the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. The Israeli army has stepped up its operations in northern Gaza, pounding the area with airstrikes and encircling Gaza City. Israel's defense forces are expected to enter the city soon. They've been preparing for urban warfare with the Islamist Islamist militant group Hamas, which is likely to lead to a sharp rise in casualties. Meanwhile, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has hinted at his plans for Gaza. In an interview with U.S. broadcaster ABC News, he said that Israel would control security in Gaza after destroying Hamas. Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas, it certainly is not... uh, uh, I think Israel will, for... uh, an indefinite period will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. The World Health Organization says that there have been more than a hundred strikes on healthcare facilities in Gaza since the fighting began over a month ago. Israel insists its targets are legitimate, accusing Hamas of mounting attacks on hospitals and ambulances. Videos circulating online show bloodied Palestinians being pulled out of rubbles in a building in Rafah. Many Gazans have been heading to the north of the Strip in the hope of avoiding Israeli bombing, but nowhere in the territory is truly safe. Shaina Law, communications advisor with the Norwegian Refugee Council based in Jerusalem, explains how dire this situation is. We have a staff of 54 trapped inside of Gaza, Most of our staff has fled from the north to the center and south of Gaza, but no place is safe. Day after day, we are hearing from our colleagues that even those who have fled, that the south is not safe. And what we're hearing in addition is not just is it not safe in the south, but similar to the north, people now are struggling to find basic necessities, food, clean water, even waiting in line five, six hours a day just to get half a portion of bread. That was um, 
Shaina Lo. Um, she's communication advisor with the Norwegian Refugee Council based in Jerusalem. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has toughened his migration policy with measures including a cut in financial help for asylum seekers and faster processing of application. The government will now pay the states 7,500 euros per year for every asylum seeker they host. The agreement comes after marathon talks in Berlin. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Reports from West Darfur in Sudan say Pala militaries, the Rapid Support Forces or RSF, are carrying out widespread killings of civilians. The RSF recently recaptured the areas of West Darfur that were previously under the control of the Sudanese militaries. Photos from a village near Chad shows bodies on the streets. And voters in the U.S. states of Ohio will go to the polls today to decide whether to end abortion rights in the state constitution. The vote is being seen as a key test of public sentiments on the issue in the swing state. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyinge. Thank you, Jane, for the news and thank you for sticking with us on the program with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And Eddie Micah Jr. is with me, Jojo Kachi. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We appreciate your comments on the stories that we are covering. That's right. Now, let's head to our top story. Ethiopia's federal government has proposed a referendum as an option to resolve a long-standing land dispute in Tigray region. The land in question has led to a conflict between Amhara and Tigray communities. Now, the disputed territory of Western Tigray, a part of Fatai land bordering Sudan, was a key flashpoint in the two-year conflict between the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, and the federal government. That's right. Now, Western Tigray belongs to Tigray under Ethiopia's constitution, right? Mm. But it was occupied by forces from neighboring Amhara province, which claims the area as its own. A referendum is now seen as a final determination on the fate of this area. But the question is, will a referendum solve the land dispute in Ethiopia's western Tigray region? DW's Kai Nebe explains. Ethiopia's northern Tigray region has been embroiled in a protracted conflict, especially regarding the contested territory in western Tigray. Opinion is now divided on whether a referendum can solve the land dispute in question. This is in consideration that the decision comes a year after a ceasefire ended a devastating civil war between the Tigray People's Liberation Front and the federal government. Through the referendum, the government is proposing a resolution framework that will majorly ensure that displaced people in western Tigray region are returned and the federal military will take over security responsibilities. However, the exact timeline for this referendum remains unspecified. According to Ethiopia's constitution, territorial disputes between regions can be resolved by considering the wishes of the people concerned when no consensus is reached by officials. This suggests a democratic approach that considers the desires of the affected population. However, the implementation of a referendum faces several challenges. On top of the list is security concerns. The region remains volatile, with a history of conflict and ongoing tensions. 
Ensuring a secure environment for conducting a fair and peaceful referendum might be a significant challenge, according to analysts. Secondly, rebuilding trust between the conflicting parties and ensuring the referendum's fair implementation will be crucial. The deeply entrenched animosities and unresolved issues might hinder a smooth process, most observers have said. Thirdly, the safe return of displaced people in this disputed region necessitates comprehensive efforts to rebuild infrastructure and ensure their safety and well-being, which is a substantial undertaking. Moreover, recent outbreaks of violence in the Amhara region, triggered by discussions about returning western Tigray and other disputed lands to Tigray, have led to an insurgency in rural areas. These clashes have resulted in casualties, including civilian deaths, as documented by the United Nations and Ethiopia's state-appointed Human Rights Commission. While the prospect of a referendum seems like a potentially democratic resolution, the success of such a process relies on addressing security concerns, rebuilding trust and garnering support from all parties involved. As of now, the situation in Western Tigray remains complex and marked by ongoing challenges, making the likelihood of a successful referendum uncertain. Indeed, likelihood of the referendum uncertain. And that was the very question we did put out on our Facebook page. Can a referendum settle differences between the federal government in Addis Ababa and Tigray regions? Yeah. Let's uh, check out some of what you guys have been saying. Kudwa Kwashi Musoda says it can, but in the limits of statistical analysis. I think it must be supported by other processes like the courts. Wilford Tang, you're saying if it is true that the federal government of Ethiopia is considering the option of a referendum, then we should give them a plus. These are signs of peace-loving regime. Look at Cameroon. After seven years of a separatist rebellion, no such offer from the Yaoundé regime. <laughs> yeah, talking about Cameroon, we'll be getting uh, to that in a bit, so stay tuned to the program. Now, Andrew Jingo says, referendum will definitely settle the difference if uh, the outcome gets, or if the outcome is respected, is what you want to say. I tell you what, we respect all your comments. Keep them coming. Eddie and myself will be glad to read them here live on air. That's right. Now, peace continues to elude the Tigray region. That's one year after an AU broker deal halted the bloody conflict in Africa's second most populous nation. Tigray still grapples with a humanitarian crisis, and the promises from the peace agreement have not been fully realized. The victims of the war continue to reel from the profound pain, struggling to find hope amidst the turmoil. Now, prior to the outbreak of the conflict between the Ethiopian federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, of Atum Kidai led an ordinary life. The 25-year-old had no military experience and had never handled a gun before. DW's Bubajalo delves deeper into his story. Half Tom was severely injured at the battlefront. Now half of his body is paralyzed and he lives in an army care center in Tigray's capital city, Mekele. I joined the struggle for my country, for my people, for myself. I don't regret the sacrifices I made. I did what I had to do. But now all of us here, including me, have become disabled. We have a lot of demands and needs. The main thing is that I want to get treatment. If I get proper treatment, I don't want anything else. 
Many Ethiopians share a similar fate like Haftom and suffered huge losses during the brutal war that began in November 2020. The Tigray war lasted for two years, causing massive death, displacement of people from their residence, and physical and psychological damage to millions of Tigrayans like young Haftom. After the peace deal, not only did the sound of gunfire stop, but also the siege that was imposed on Tigray was lifted. For some residents in Mekele city, not hearing gunfire, aircraft or drones has been a blessing. However, a year later, there are still many things that are troubling. Hagos Tesfaye was displaced and now lives in Arab district, a village bordering Eritrea. His district is under the control of the Eritrean army, he told DW. Since the signing of the peace agreement, services such as banks, telecoms and electricity, which were closed in most parts of Tigray, have been reopened. But in Europe, nothing has changed. Most of the Europe districts are still controlled by the Eritrean army. According to the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, the humanitarian situation remains critical. The UN also warns of ongoing atrocities, including war crimes and crimes against humanity. Many in Tigray continue to demand the full implementation of the peace agreement. Redai Heleform, head of communication affairs of Tigray Interim Administration, requests the government to take responsibility for the withdrawal of the foreign forces in Tigray. We expect the federal government to get them out, all militants, out of the Ethiopian Defense Forces in Tigray. According to the agreement, we expect Amhara militants and Eritrean soldiers to go out of Tigray. Indeed, there are many expectations and it is up to the government to step up and restore the situation in Tigray. Buba Jalo with that uh, report, of course, a very sensitive situation unfolding in Ethiopia and we're keeping tabs to what is happening there. Yeah, we'll keep updating you on how how things develop in the region and you can always have your say on our Facebook page, DW Africa. If you just joined us, this is DW's Africa Link program. I am Eddie Micah Julia. And I'm George Okachi. Connect with us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Like and follow the page and comment on the stories we are covering. Like I'm seeing Lambert, Kevin. It's long since I saw Lambert. I wonder where <laughs> Lambert went. And of course, David Nchamba, Alberto Siga. Much appreciated for following the page. Yeah, people listening to us from all parts of the continent and all across the globe. Coming up in the next few minutes, we get to know more about Zambia's fearless human rights defender. I do have a personal conviction that every single voice counts, and not just in my country, Zambia, but uh, across the continent. We don't hear enough of the voices of African women. And what has happened to Nigerian movie legend, popularly called Mr. Ibu? Stay tuned for more on that. That's right. Our very own Isaac Mugabe will give us the latest on his current situation. But before we get into those stories, let's first deal with a conflict that has been raging on for years in Cameroon's English-speaking region. In a recent attack, at least 25 civilians have been killed 
in his expected separatist attack in southwest region of the country. Now, Eddie, the attack has been described as the deadliest in the area mm. and is grim reminder of intensifying separatist war in Cameroon. For more on this, here is Kilian Gala with his story. But uh, before we play this story, I would wish to warn our listener that some of the events in this report may be distressing. The gunshot. Then an explosion. Cameroon's English-speaking regions have been in the grip of a separatist war for nearly seven years now. The latest attack took place Monday morning at the locality of Egbeko in Manfe town of the country's southwest region. Gunmen suspected to be separatist fighters struck in the dead of the night, killing women, men and children. Miss Mata survived the attack to tell the story. Around 3 o'clock... It was around 3.30 a.m. We heard gunshots. Before I realized it, they had broken into my house and started beating me. My daughter tried protesting that I was sick, but they beat her up as well. My other baby wanted to climb on me and they put a gun on his head, threatening to shoot. Then they ordered us out of the house. We ran to the forest and when we returned, the house was already burnt. But 25 other people weren't so lucky. They were either shot, butchered or burnt alive in their sleep says the town's mayor, Tabenchong Achu. These uh, secessionists, they burn houses, rape girls, burn some elderly ones in the house. The worst part of it is that an eight-month child was in the house. They burned that child, you cannot imagine. Several others sustained life-threatening wounds. The attack has received broad condemnation. Government Minister Victor Aremengot was in the area to celebrate 41 years of President Paul Bia's accession to power. But the attack solicited the mood. We deplore this sort of continued attack on the population. How can people unleash this sort of wickedness, savagery on their own people? Kapo Daniel, the head of one of the numerous separatist groups battling for the independence of Cameroon's English speakers, acknowledges that separatists were responsible for the attack, but has distanced his organization from it. It was our forces that carried out this attack, and this is not the first time. They had previously attacked a funeral ceremony as well in Manu in several instances, and uh, this is regrettable. I condemn it. The Ambazonian People's Rights Advocative Platform condemn it. These actions have been done by these forces as a result of their leadership being out of touch with our population. For nearly seven years now, separatists in Cameroon's English-speaking regions have been fighting to create a new state, but the fighting has meant women's tears continue to flow. It's left at least 6,000 people dead and more than a million forced to flee from their homes. That report, that report was put together by Killian in Gale. You guys have been expressing your thoughts on our Facebook page, DW Africa. George, let's take this one from Solly Vans, who says, In as much as we condemn that act, we can't conclude so fast who is responsible. We've seen acts like these before, notably uh, the Ingabu massacre and the natural junction killings committed by other people. 
Mm-hmm. And Faverson says we need an independent investigation on this and the culprits brought to justice. When two elephants fight, you know how it continues. It's the grass that suffers. Ngu uh, Nelson says it's shocking how global attention is on the Israel-Hamas conflict while this conflict has claimed thousands of people since 2017 and nobody is talking about it. And Kofi Otabil is saying, why are they killing innocent souls? They should direct their anger at Paul Bia, who is the president. Okay. Keep those comments coming through on our Facebook page, DW Africa. For now, what do you know about Linda Kasonde? She is one of Zambia's leading female human rights defenders. She became the first woman to hold the position of president at the Law Association of Zambia, the body that regulates the legal profession in that country. Yeah, now at a time when democratic space was shrinking in Zambia in 2016, Kasonde and her association played a critical role in upholding human rights in the country. Kathy Short tells us more from Lusaka. Linda Kasonde is a Zambian lawyer and a fearless human rights defender. Kasonde is also the founder and executive director of Chapter One Foundation, an NGO which promotes and protects human rights, human rights defenders, constitutionalism, the rule of law and social justice in Zambia. The foundation does its work through advocacy, strategic public litigation and civic education. In April 2019, she was elected as the Vice President for Africa for the Commonwealth Lawyers Association, the first Zambian to hold that position. She told DW that her journey into leadership was not easy. At the time I was in office, I felt that I was a unicorn because I didn't have anyone in my circle or even sphere of my network who could relate to my experience and who I could learn from. So I tended to lean on uh, YouTube and other sorts of um, TEDx talks and things by women whom I admired. I asked Kasonde about her motivation for being a human rights defender. I do have a personal conviction that every single voice counts. And one of the things that I was personally fighting for and pushing back on the shrinking civic space was to allow other voices to come forward because I believe that that's how democracy works. It works on the marketplace of ideas being a place that allows the free flow of ideas between its citizens. Kasonde quit from her job in 2019 to form an NGO, Chapter One Foundation, to continue defending human rights in Zambia. I'd always wanted to pursue causes that uphold justice and truth, and uh, I felt there was still work that needed to be done. So I left, and I have to say it was a huge leap of faith because I really didn't know how I was going to fund the project or even pay myself. Kasonde is also an author of a new book entitled Women, Resilience, and the Will to Lead, which focuses on her journey into leadership. One of the reasons I wrote my book um, was I felt it was important as a Zambian woman, as an African woman, uh, as a black woman, to tell my story in my own words. And I think that's something that's lacking, uh, not just in my country, Zambia, but uh, across the continent. We don't hear enough 
of the voices of African women. Mary Mwaba, a young civic education teacher from Mansa in northern Zambia, looks up to her for inspiration. Linda Kasonde is a very bold, persistent and inspiring legal practitioner and human rights defender. It's how she relates with people and how they're going through situations. For her, it is standing with those that are oppressed rather than being the one that is oppressed. Mm, quite a good cost there. And that yeah. is uh, a report by our very own Kathy Shot yeah. from Zambia. Yeah, very, uh, very touching to, to hear stories about, you know, women doing their part to help fellow women and generally help all of society. Mm-hmm. There's some other stories making headlines around the continent, and it's only right that we get into some of them. Isaac Mugabe is with us in the studio to help dig into some of them. Mr. Ibu is making the headlines, Isaac. What's the news there? Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you guys for having me here to talk about what else is making headlines as lo- as well as uh, sports. Starting with Mr. Ibu, it's quite unfortunate. The family of the Nigerian comic actor, he's probably known as Mr. Ibu, but his real name is John Okafor. Yeah. Uh, yesterday revealed that uh, he, uh, he underwent seven surgeries and unfortunately, one of his legs was amputated and days ago the family had said that the actor successfully went five surgeries you can imagine and Mm. would be flown abroad for further treatment but what i can say is that i wouldn't say tributes because he's still alive Mm -hmm. i mean messages of hope messages of uh, strengthening him have been pouring in from east west south north you know wishing him a quick recovery and some of them who enjoyed his comedy have been saying mr ibu wish you recovery quick recovery Mm. myself i enjoyed most of his movies with with the two two stars kiki and aki Aki and popo yeah yeah aki and popo do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember. And of course, uh, this guy brought a lot of laughter and yeah. joy to many people, including myself. There are some short videos that yeah. we always see about him. Yeah. And I mean, Isaac, I remember the, the times when uh, his family was uh, basically seeking financial assistance from, from mm. you know, the entertainment industry to help their father go through all of this. They got the money. They, they have some surgery, but unfortunately, he's lost a leg. Yes, yeah, some yeah. people, some artists chipped in, and there yeah. was a backlash from Nigeria and beyond, including Ghana. You know, Ghana, mm. the archivists of Nigeria, even when to come to the movie industry, saying you should help him out yeah. when he's still alive, you know, and help him out when he still needs yeah. the financial assistance, mm. than, you know, coming up later and saying, oh, we could have done more. Yeah. All right, Isaac, uh, I mean, we will be keeping on to monitor how this unfolds. And of course, uh, we, we are sure he's uh, an inspirational person and yeah. he may come out with this uh, with a lot of, you know, inspiration. But also on sports, Isaac, Chelsea, <laughs> Tottenham. What happened? <laughs> well, well, to me, so far in the in the English Premier League, this match will go down in the history as one of the most, most controversial with so much drama so many minutes added in for as extra time in total 21 minutes the first half 12 minutes and nine the second <laughs> half i mean we saw <laughs> five disallowed goals 11, what is wrong with that? 11 significant <laughs> VAR checks, meaning that the referee is not totally in control of the game. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, 21 minutes of added time. And managers, managers ragging. But at least all things, there's a there's always a happy note to them, like a hat-trick from the match-aligned Chelsea striker, Nicholas Jackson. He's born from Gambia, but plays for Senegal. He's still a young man. Mm. But I mean, he was really, really, really excellent in his in what he did a hat trick for the youngster yeah yeah but again i mean trouble still till the end of the game they had only four players of the starting lineup 
Yeah. You can imagine. Of yeah. the 11 people, players who started, four players were still yeah. playing. I, mean, off. I watched that game from beginning to end and I just couldn't believe how things went. Eventually, 4-1, it was for Chelsea grabbing three points against Tottenham. Tottenham losing their first game of the season. But also, Champions League action today, Isaac. Dortmund will be locking horns with Newcastle. In another time, to be precise. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, in the first leg, that was on the 25th of October, Dortmund managed to to get away with one goal, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> ahead of Newcastle United. But don't forget that Newcastle will be buoyed by a victory, a controversial victory they got last weekend. Another VAR problem. Another VAR <laughs> controversial decision, according to many pundits. And up to now, Alteta the manager or the coach of Arsenal is still angry and mm. promised he vowed to lash out at VAR referees until tomorrow. But again, I mean, Borussia Dortmund are comfortably in the second position. They only mm. need a win yeah. and then to, to go top of the table. Newcastle have an appeal task. They must win this game. And I hope, I hope, maybe, but I mean, German, of course, my, my heart is with Dortmund. <laughs> I hope maybe that we shall have a good game. Yeah, in an hour's time, let George say it. Mm, talk about uh, CB and PSG, another match. Uh, Isaac, uh, where are you placing your money? Oh, well, well, the first leg it was hard for for AC Milan. They failed to keep up the pace with Paris Saint Germain. You know, Mbappe is always a dangerous, mm. dangerous you know, striker to mark. I mean, it ended 3 0. So, an apple for AC Milan, they have to compensate those goals. What do I mean? They need at least a draw mm. to have, you know, that chance of. Coming back from the bottom, remember they are last in the bottom. They need at least to be in the first two places to have guarantees of continuing in the second mm. stage. Okay. Eddie, Eddie, before you ask that, I, I, I like <laughs> it that whenever Isaac speaks about Mbappe, yes. he has to repeat dangerous, dangerous. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Mbappe, you look the other way, he's gone because it's pretty fast. <laughs> Isaac, ten, yeah. 10 seconds. Is it going to be a walk in the park for City against Young Boys? Well, City... I know the coach, Pep Guardiola, doesn't take chances. Mm. It could be a walk in the park. But like I always say, football, you never know what happens. Mm. We saw the other day Salzbrücken kicking out mm. German champions Bayern Munich from the German Cup. So okay. who knows? Pep Guardiola must bring his first eleven. We'll see how that goes. If you want to get more from Isaac, join us uh, tomorrow's show. We'll be reviewing the Champions League games and looking forward to the games to be played on Thursday also. Thank you very much, Isaac, for your time and thank you guys for staying tuned into the program. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And on behalf of the entire team, my name is George Okachi. DW Made for Minds.